I do that every week. Um, I'm supposed to hit record before I actually, the passage is actually read, and then I forget it every week. But um, We got to the end of the last section, and Jesus made a comment. Um, he said, be merciful as your Father is merciful. That's sort of the bridge passage for this and the comments that Jesus was making last week. Um, that, that dealt with um, the idea of the, the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so um, we come to this passage talking about judging um, other people um, in light of um, that idea of that Jesus has just told us about being merciful as our Father in heaven is merciful. And so I've shared this illustration with you all a few times, but a, a few years ago there was a study or a survey taken um, of what was the most well-known passage in the scriptures, okay? And so that is to say, what passage was more quoted? Um, like if you walked up to a, a person on the street, not necessarily a believer, right? Anybody on the street and said, do you know any passages from the Bible that you could quote me, okay? Um, what the number one passage that people quoted was, okay? And so you might guess, you might guess it'd be something like John 3.16 or something, right? Um, very well-known passage. You see people holding up signs at football games and, and things like that, right, all the time. Um, but it wasn't John 3.16. It wasn't one of the, the maybe simple passages like in the beginning, right? That, that would be an easy one and, and a well-known one, but it wasn't. Some people joke that, well, maybe it was Jesus wept because everybody sometimes says, well, that's the shortest passage in the Bible, the shortest, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? But it wasn't any of those. The one that most people knew off the top of their head was judge not lest ye be judged. That was the one that everybody knew, whether you were in the church or outside the church. It was the most common answer to that question. And so obviously questions about the nature of, of what does that mean about judging people, right, arise all the time. The, the church um, sort of carries this stigma um, behind it all the time, right? Like you go out there and ask somebody who has a generally unfavorable view of the church, Nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100 probably, they're going to say something like, oh, well, the people in the church are judgmental, right? And that's why we don't, I don't like them, and I don't, I don't go to church or whatever else like that. That's going to be one of the, um, the accusations that they level against us. And so we come to a passage like this because it's pretty important. Um, Jesus says, do not judge lest you are judged, okay? And so we have to ask ourselves a lot of hard questions about this passage and how this works out. Um, it's interesting because I think what happens in this text is two things at once. I think we can say that the passage looks both at the way God judges us and at the wrong ways in which we judge other people, right? So both of those issues are being addressed in this passage. All right, so let's kind of start at the beginning and then work through it. The first section is, is more focused on God's judgment uh, or, or what he is, is saying to us. And then later on, he gives this parable um, that is a picture of the way or the wrong ways in which we judge other people, okay? So let's notice a couple things up front, okay? The first one is this. Implicit in the passage, right, something that is is in, obvious in the passage, is the idea that we are all worthy of judgment and condemnation, okay? Um, and that we are all in need of forgiveness and blessing, okay? So, right, your guilt and your need are givens already. They are established realities. There's no question about the fact that you are both someone who deserves condemnation and someone who is in need of forgiveness and mercy from God, okay? 
Um, but what's interesting about this passage is that Jesus seems to be saying that you will be shown mercy as a function of the mercy that you show to other people, right? And so how you treat others apparently affects the way God treats you. Okay, so so God has commanded us to treat others the way we would want to be treated, right? We talked about that last week, the golden rule, okay? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So God's told us that's the ethic that we're supposed to live by, all right? But then he seems to add this other piece, right? That he will treat you as you treat other people, all right? Which is a, is, is a different aspect of it, but that's a significant addition, it's a significant insight into the way God uh, works and, and moves and understands all these things, right? Because I think there's probably the case is this, is there are a lot of Christians out there that sort of have this um, me and God versus the world kind of mentality, um, almost this attitude that, you know what, if me and God are good, then everybody else can just, who cares what they're doing? Uh, that I don't, I'm, I'm not worried about what anybody else thinks of me or says about me or does or anything. Um, I'm not worried about my relationship with anybody else because if me and God are good, then, then that's all I need. But this passage would push back against that, right? That doesn't seem to be the case. God promises a, a reciprocity in this passage, right? God says, I will forgive you if you forgive other people. And if you condemn other people, then you will be condemned, okay? Now, we have to pause for a second because I think if, if, if we understand the gospel rightly, that should give us a little bit of pause, right? We should say, how does that fit with the way the gospel is supposed to work, right? Because does Jesus not save us by grace, right? Is, is his love for us and forgiveness of us not unconditional? How does that line up with the gospel? Well, I think the case is, is that they're connected, right? Because what we're seeing here is, is the attitude that Jesus is describing in this passage, someone who does not judge, does not condemn, who forgives, right? Um, the attitude that Jesus is describing is someone, is, is a posture um, that comes from the gospel, okay? Um, someone who has understood the gospel and received the gospel then is is enabled to live in light of these things, right? Someone who who can now say, I'm I'm I, I can I'm not going to judge people in the negative ways that we're talking about here. I'm not going to condemn people um, because I understand what the gospel has said about my own life, right? A heart that is shaped by the gospel understands that they are a sinner who um, is under God's condemnation and judgment who deserves nothing and yet has received freely the grace and mercy of God. And so, therefore, that informs how we how we judge, okay? And so we're going to talk about that right here because, obviously, then, I think we, the next question is, as you go, okay, well, well, what does it mean? How, what does it mean for a believer not to judge, okay? Does, does, what is the content of that? How do we live that out, Right? Because I think there's lots of people in the world, certainly, who would um, attempt to make the Bible speak against itself, right? They would say, you know what it means to to uh, judge? Um, you're being judgmental anytime you tell me that I'm doing something wrong. Um, you're being judgmental every time you say that God would be displeased with the way that I have acted or a view that I have or or something like that. 
Um, but I think the case is, is that, um, man, it only takes a surface reading of the scriptures to be able to say that can't possibly be what is meant by judging something. Okay. That can't possibly be, um, the, the case. Okay. Making statements about the objective rightness or wrongness of an action or an attitude or a behavior and their consequences of those things can't be just simply what God is, what is talking about in this passage. That can't be what judging is. And the reason why I would say that is because the whole Bible is a book of that in some ways, right? Now, that's not the only thing the Bible does, but certainly the Bible is a book that is telling us how we should live, Right? It's a book that is commanding us to even believe the gospel and things like that. It's admonishing us. It's it's warning us of the consequences of sin, admonishing us to flee from sin, right? Admonishing us to trust in Jesus Christ and believe the gospel, right? We just read a section, what, last week or two weeks ago, where Jesus is pronouncing woes on these things, right? And he's saying woe to those who are this way. And I mean, can you imagine somebody coming to Jesus and then saying, well, Jesus, let's not be judgmental, right? Like you can't, you can't just say, whoa, is somebody off the, off the cuff or labeling a whole group of people. You can't say that, Jesus, right? That's not, that's not appropriate for you to do. You're not supposed to judge people, right? There are literally places in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, that command us to judge people, right? Especially those who are inside the church, so think about Matthew chapter 18, the passage that we go to all the time for church discipline and, and for our sort of conflict resolution, the way we understand those things in terms of the scriptures, right? What does Jesus say? Okay, again, it, what is what are Jesus' own words? He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, right? It doesn't say, well, you know, it's not really your place to say anything about anybody's actions, right? So you should probably just let that person live their life and you just... Suck it up and deal with it. Now, that's not what it says. It says, if someone has sinned against you, go and tell that person their, their fault. And obviously there's more to it after other steps after that. Paul, specifically talking about the church in Corinth, he says he's talking about judging um, someone in the church who has, who has um, committed a sexual sin. Um, and he says, what business do we have judging those who are outside? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? God judges those outside, okay? So again, on that passage, it's zooming in on the idea of the judgment that goes on in the church, right? That we have a responsibility to each other and to tell each other and to say these things to each other, okay? So it can't be the case that what it means to judge somebody is to make objective statements about what the Word of God says about actions and attitudes and the consequences that come from right? That is not what it means when the Bible says, do not judge. Okay. So, so well, what is it then? Okay. Well, I think what it's actually the case is, is that when you look at a passage in the Bible that says, do not judge, if you look at the context of it, if you look at the uh, parable that comes along with it, if you look at the description and the, and the other stuff that comes along with those texts, what you'll see is that Jesus is actually um, condemning, right? He's actually making a judgment on wrong ways of judging, okay? He is, he, he is essentially telling us the ways in which we are not supposed to judge, okay? Not that all judgment statements are wrong, but the way you judge may be wrong, 
Okay, And so what I think the case is, and you see it in this passage, there's other places in Scripture that each one of these points is, is more clear, but you see all three of them in this passage too. And that's th- this basic idea, and this is something I, I know I've shared somewhere along the way as, as we've been a church together and we've talked about before, but there's three basic attitudes that come along with wrongly judging, Okay, and that is to be haughty, to be hypocritical, or to be hateful. Okay, three H's. Okay, pretty easy to, to, to kind of put it store away in your head. To be haughty is sinfully judging somebody. To be hypocritical is to be sinfully, ju- sinfully judging somebody. Or to be um, hateful is to be sinfully judging somebody. Okay, so let's kind of go through each one of those and look at the text that we've got, right? So, th- so the first thing that he talks about in verse 39, he, he starts giving his parable, right? And it says, can a man lead, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And then verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own? Okay. So, so notice this, that talking about the haughty person, right? Um, and if, if, if haughty is not a word you're, you're familiar with, it's not a word we use a lot anymore, but proud, someone who is arrogant. Okay. A haughty person acts as if they don't have the same issues as other people. That they're above or beyond all of those things, right? That they would never stoop so low or stumble so easily as to fall into the same sins that they are condemning. And that they are maybe somehow spiritually more mature than that, right? Where they don't mess up in those kind of ways anymore. And therefore, they stand above the person they're talking to when it comes to these matters spiritually. So right, it's it's we all know people like that. In fact, let's be honest, we are all people. We are people like that, right? In 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 different ways at different times on different issues, okay? And it's hard, just like this 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 parable demonstrates, it's hard to help others, it's hard to help people who are blind see their own faults, right? Just like this blind man who is leading another blind man, right? Um he claims to be able to lead out of some sort of, of of ability or skill, but it's the very skill that he doesn't have and the other guy needs, right? Okay? And he just doesn't see that. He doesn't see that he's in the exact same situation as the other guy, okay? That's a function of haughtiness, of arrogance, of pride in one's life, right? And it can come from different places. Sometimes it comes from a self-righteousness in a person in general, right? We like giving off the image that we have spiritually arrived, okay? Man, people just, you watch, people do that, okay? We like standing around and sort of being like, you know what, of the people who are standing here, I'm the one that knows what's up, right? I'm the one who's walked this this um, path, and I'm the one who has done the, I understand it, and I'm here to be the, 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 the Bodhi, right? I'm here to be the, the elevated one who can tell everybody else how to live their life or whatever. We like doing that. Incidentally, when you think that you have spiritually arrived, that probably is proof that you haven't, okay? Um, so maybe it's self-righteousness that makes us haughty. Maybe sometimes it's just sort of unreflectiveness that makes us haughty, right? We, we, we don't realize that we have this attitude because we've not really looked in a spiritual mirror, right? We've never really looked at our own lives 
um, deeply and, and reflectively um, and, and tried to figure out and see the ways that we have fallen short, right? We pray when we have our time of repentance, right? We typically pray that God would show us the secret places of our sin, right? The places that we don't even realize our sin because of, because of our blindness. And so maybe, maybe this haughtiness is a function of being unreflective. Um, sometimes it's maybe a combination of those things. Sometimes it's not either of them. Maybe sometimes it's just a gruffness or an insensitivity to other people in the situation they're in, right? And so sometimes uh, we, we might objectively know that we're not any more spiritual than another person, but there's this sort of abrasive, gruff kind of presentation of things. We're, we're a little too blunt. We're a little too harsh in our, in our critique or criticism um, and in, in, in our, in our truth telling. Right. And when we do that, it, it makes us come off as, as arrogant. Okay. And so it could be any of those. It could be a combination. It could be all three. Right. But the illustration is, is, is very um, appropriate. This idea of a blind man who doesn't even realize that he is blind, trying to lead other people who are blind um, and thinking that he's going to be able to do better than they did. And so maybe the question that we should ask ourselves in terms of our haughtiness, right, is, is what am I trying, am I trying to elevate myself when I, when I'm, um, talking about these things? If I'm calling a certain sin to account, if I'm coming to a brother or sister who has sinned against me, like, am I trying to elevate myself spiritually? Am I trying to get some sort of moral high ground so that I'm the person in the position of, of either authority or superiority or something like that? Um, am I doing this for my own benefit? That's a question that we could ask of our own hearts when it comes to haughtiness. You know, I like, uh, C.S. Lewis makes a comment about, um, something like haughtiness. And so he's talking about the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus commanded us to do that. The second greatest commandment, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And, and what Lewis zooms in on, and obviously we could probably talk about a lot of things there, but Lewis zooms in on this idea that you always tend to give yourself the benefit of the doubt, right? When you mess up or when you sin, you can look at that sin and say, well, I did something wrong, um, uh, but, but, and I shouldn't have done that, but it doesn't make me an objectively um, evil person. I'm not somebody who should be written off. Um, I don't think it makes God not love me anymore. He hasn't abandoned me because of these things. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not a believer, right? You give yourself the benefit of the doubt on all these things. And so Lewis kind of says, why don't you just do that with other people's sin? When somebody does something sinful against you, instead of looking at it and goes, well, that person obviously doesn't believe in Jesus, or that person is obviously an apostate, or that person has obviously walked around, or that person's, you know, whatever, just sort of say, you know what? That person did something stupid and sinful, and I do something stupid and sinful sometimes too, right? And so you give that person the benefit of the doubt, and you give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Um, that's what loving your neighbor as yourself looks like. And so, so that's the first of the ages, that haughty idea, right? But then there's also this idea of being hypocritical, okay? And so if, if haughtiness, um, is, is sort of a function of your posture to somebody, right? Where you're standing with them, then maybe hypocriticalness has to do with directly with your actions. So look what he says in verse 42. He says, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, 
Okay, so he specifically uses the word hypocrite here, right? And we can kind of, again, talk about hypocrisy in maybe a couple different ways. Sometimes we we basically mean by hypocrisy the same thing that we do by haughty, right? And so honestly, all three of these points kind of intermingle a lot. There is a, a reality that the attitude of one of these three H's is probably connected to the attitude of all the other three, okay? And so we can use the word hypocrisy a little more generally, Um but hypocrisy, um, or, or that is when we're like, like if we're critical of other people's faults, um, we pick out their weaknesses and compare them to our strengths, right? And then the places that we're weak, we say, well, those aren't very important, but the places that we're strong in, we sort of elevate those as the most important things, right? And so we do all, we all do that all the time, right? Like you'll look at somebody and you'll say, well, you know, that person is, is not very trustworthy. Uh, but you know me, uh, I give to charity all the time. And you're like, cool, those aren't the same thing. Um, you're just picking one thing that you're good at and one thing that they're bad at and then trying to make a moral judgment on a person's character by that. And so that's a kind of hypocrisy, a general kind of hypocrisy that's that's very connected to haughtiness. There's also what we might call a blatant kind of hypocrisy that happens sometimes where you judge or condemn someone for something um, that you're actually doing at the same time, right? And so that happens all the time. Um in people's lives. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter two. He says, you people who teach others, why don't you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law, right? And so if there is a blatant kind of hypocrisy going on, then, then we then we recognize that. Um, a specific example, I remember a few years back, it's been more than a few years back now, um, a certain political situation happened where it was discovered that a prominent politician was having an affair. And, of course, everybody on the other side of the aisle went, uh, this is awful, morally corrupt, this person has disqualified themselves from the office and should step down. Well, then a couple of years later, it was discovered that half of those people who were decrying that man's sin we're also in their own affairs at the same time. They were they were also having affairs too, right? That is a blatant kind of hypocrisy, right? To sit there and say, to point out one person's sin, to point out the speck that is in your neighbor's eye when you have proverbially, proverbially a plank in your own eye, right? And so um, that governmental kind of illustration is, is a big one. Let's Let's do something a little closer to home. The culture war in terms of the church and, and, um, and the way we engage with the sexual revolution that's going on around us, right? And so the church is, is often very vocal about issues surrounding homosexuality or transgenderism or, or the negative aspects of radical feminism, right? We are very quick to say those things are sinful and wrong. But at the same time, we, are a little more loose. Uh, we don't talk as much about premarital sex, cohabitation, divorce, pornography, right? We don't talk about issues that are much more common in the church itself, right? That is a kind of blatant hypocrisy, okay? And so it's something that Jesus would, I think, say, he's, he's, not, he's not saying, cool, well, then don't anybody talk about anything ever. That's not what he's saying, right? He's not saying we've all got problems, so the best way to solve that is for everybody to never say anything about it. That's obviously not what Jesus is saying. But maybe what he is saying is, hey, you know what you should do? You should probably get your own house in order first, okay? 
Um, you should get your own house in order, and then you can work to get the log out of your brother's eye, right? So I say um, we need to talk about all of it, but we probably need to address the issues are more pre- that are more present and pressing in our own lives, in our own communities, before we dive deeply into dealing with, with issues that are outside of those. Okay, and that kind of leads us right into the next passage is asking the question, not only are we being haughty, not only are we being hypocritical, but are we being hateful? All right, and this answers the question, what do we hope to achieve by this? Okay, what is the goal of our making these statements and and about judging something uh, that is out there, right? Because again, notice Jesus' words. He doesn't say, well, you have no right and no responsibility to get the speck out of your brother's eye, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, get the speck out of your own eye and let that dude deal with his own eye and everybody just deal with their own problems. He doesn't say that. He says, you should get the log out of your own eye so that you will be able to get the speck out, right? But you won't be able to do it until you have. Okay, and so I think that points us towards something. That is a responsibility that is that is incumbent upon brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? We owe that to each other. People who have agreed to live in community with each with each other are uh, as friends and as family and as members of, of the body of Christ. Right? I want what is best for you, and you should want what is best for me. And if that's the case, and we are followers of Jesus Christ, then we know that being in right relationship with Jesus Christ is what is best for us. And that means in every aspect of our lives. It's, it's what is best is walking in faith and holiness before God and before man. And so that's exactly what man, again, you, you read the whole Bible, and the whole Bible is encouraging us to live this way. Hebrews chapter 3, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Instead, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? I mean, in that passage, he's specifically saying it's our job to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and not let sin metastasize in their lives, right? To not let sin sit there and harden and turn into something that is an even bigger problem, right? We're, we're, we're called to speak into each other's lives. And so, uh, the question then becomes, well, what are you trying to achieve? by speaking into somebody's life. If, if, if you're just trying to um, make them aware of their sin, right? If you're, if you're um, trying to get the speck out of their eye because they'd be better off with the speck out of their eye, then amen, right? So be it. That's good. That's right. That's how people in community and people who are family in Christ are supposed to treat each other. But if you want the speck out of someone's eyes so that you can lord it over them, so that you can put that person in their place, so that you can demonstrate your own spiritual superiority in in a situation or among a group, right? Well, then you've missed it, okay? Because you're no longer acting out of a motive to help someone for their good. You're acting out of motivation to put that person in their place and actually to help yourself and to make you look better. And so the reality is, man, people can tell your motives, 
Okay? They can. Maybe not always. Maybe you're good at hiding your motives, which is not a good characteristic to have, right? Okay? Um, but people can tell your motives. They, they can tell if you're speaking about their sin, if they're, if you're calling your sin to account or speaking truth into their life. They can tell if you're doing that to elevate yourself or if you're doing it because you're attempting to help raise them up right? To get them away from something that is destroying them and help them live their life in light of Christ. And so the reality is this here, man, we got to be careful because our hearts are super tricky on all this stuff. Okay. Um, we like to think that we are doing these things in a right way. Okay. And then yet at the same time, oftentimes there is haughtiness, um, there is hypocrisy, and sometimes there is even hatefulness as we do it. There's one little line that's tucked into the middle of this passage. And honestly, when you read the whole rest of the passage, the whole rest of the passage seems to make sense together, right? But then there's this one little line that, in my opinion anyway, seems out of place. It seems like Jesus just sort of was like, I'm going to stick this in here because I don't know where else to put it or something, right? But thats I don't think that's the case, okay? And it's verse 40. So in the midst of this idea of not judging, in the midst of this idea of this illustration of the blind man and the person who's got the speck in their eye and all this stuff, then all of a sudden in the middle of it, Jesus says in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, why is that in there? Well, I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you know how you should judge? You should judge the same way that Jesus judges. Right? You should, when you are speaking truth into people's lives about their sin, about the consequences of sin, you should do it the way Jesus does it. You should be like your teacher. And when you are fully trained, you will be like your teacher if you're, if you're truly a follower of Christ. And so think about the way Jesus looks in the scriptures. Okay. Jesus never pulls punches when it comes to the truth. Right. He always tells you what the case is. He says things that are difficult and uncomfortable to hear, right? He says things that are personal and intimate regarding people's lives, right? Things that, that are private, maybe they don't want to talk about with other people. He is honest about the reality of the situation and the consequences of those realities. And then also what's amazing is that he speaks those truths regardless of one who he's addressing or two, what it's going to cost him, right? And so so sometimes Jesus is talking to people who are his enemies, people who are outside the community. Sometimes he's talking to those who are his closest followers and friends. But guess what? In all of the situations, he speaks boldly and blatantly to people. But here's what's interesting about Jesus is in the midst of all that truth-telling, he never seems arrogant, right? He never seems self-righteous, even though by theological definition, Jesus is the only self-righteous person who's ever existed. Or maybe you could say that he is righteous in himself, right? He's not self-righteous, he's righteous in himself. He's the only person who ever spoke who deserves to speak in that way, and yet he doesn't. Jesus is never hypocritical. And again, you might say, well, of course he's not hypocritical. Ash, he's never sinned. How could he be hypocritical? But but think about it like this. There's never a double standard for Jesus. 
Okay, He never looks to the crowds, to his enemies, and says, hey, you guys are supposed to live one way. And then turns around to his followers and he's like, but not you guys. You guys are cool, right? Like he never does that, okay? He always speaks to both groups. In fact, if we look at the scriptures, oftentimes he's speaking to those on the inside even more bluntly, okay? Which I think is appropriate. That's right, okay? That's how we should be as well, right? We should be a lot more focused on on our own holiness and purity than we are in the world's, although we have to take the witness of God to the world too. Okay, because to not do that would be what? It would be hateful again, right? For us to look at the world and say, man, you guys can go to hell. I'm not worried about you. We're dealing with our own house. We're going to take care of our own stuff. We're going to circle the wagons. You guys can live your lives and suffer the consequences from it. It's not my problem. Man, that is the opposite of Christ, right? That is the opposite of what Jesus has called us to. That is condemning people. Okay, it is saying you are worthy of eternal damnation and I'm not interested in doing anything about that. That's not what we do. That's not what Jesus does. There's no hypocrisy in Jesus. And then at the same time, man, his desire is always for the good and blessing of people, right? For their peace. And he's kind in those things and he is meek when he talks to people. He sympathizes with their weakness, especially those who come in humility. Right? To the, to the proud, to the arrogant, to the kind of people he's talking about who judge wrongly, he's a little more coarse with, right? To the Pharisees, he's a little more direct with. Okay? But for the people who come to him recognizing their sin and humbly, um, repenting, Jesus is meek and kind to those people. His attitude is the passage that we read in John 3.16 for our uh, scriptural assurance of forgiveness, right? But not 16, but 17. What does 17 say? It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so maybe the reality is, is this, that thou shalt not judge does not mean, it cannot mean that we ignore truth. But it does mean that we recognize our own place and our own standing before Jesus and the way that that truth is is just as real in our lives, the ways that we have messed up, that we are all sinners, that we are all on this road of sanctification, and that we all have many miles to go, right? That we all need grace, we all need mercy, we all need blessing. And yet at the same time, the mission of the believer in Jesus Christ is for the good of the world. And to say... In no way do I want to be hateful. In no way do I want to be haughty. And I'm not trying to be hypocritical. I'm trying to tell you what is good and right so that you can receive the blessing of God and enter into his kingdom. That's what we're doing, okay? And so when Jesus is is, is telling us of these things, I think he's looking at not judgment in a generic sense. We can't help but live in a world where we make calls on right and wrong. But we can attune our hearts so that we are acting in a loving and helpful and gracious and humble way as we come before other people. Amen? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. And and what I want you to do is I want you to pray about these very things, right? Because I think the case is is this. Um, We are all hypocritical. We are all haughty. And it's sometimes we're hateful too, right? There's, there's, we, all you have to do is look for a few seconds at our culture and realize we're not always concerned with helping people. We're really concerned with winning a lot, right? We're really concerned with getting the best of an argument, 
And that's not for other people's good, right? That's for, for our own good. So what I want you to do is kind of pray about these things for a minute. Um, reflect on those passages and think about the ways that God um, is maybe speaking into your own heart on these things. Are you somebody who, who steps into a room acting as if you are the, um, the person who knows all and is the spiritual authority? Are you somebody who is, is very vocal about um, sin in other people's lives um, because you want to put on a good front, but in your own private life, um, you are harboring some of the same kinds of sins? Or are you just somebody who has already circled the wagons, who has already set up a dichotomy of those are the foes outside, we're the good people, they're the enemy, we're the friends? Well, we talked about that last week, right? To love our enemies, to want what is good and best for them, that's the same thing that we see in this passage here. What is it, where is the place that your heart is falling short? Go before the Lord and ask the Lord to work on you in those things, right? To give you opportunities to rightly share with other people, right? There's a whole lot more that we can say about this. You probably, nobody needs to walk into any situation just out the gate, start going, you know, um, like speaking truth into people's lives who you've not earned a certain level of trust and, and respect and, and, and opportunity to do that. But, but start at this beginning section. Um, are there areas of your heart that need to be dealt with before you can even step into that? Let's go before the Lord and, and, and speak to him and see what he would lead us in. Father, if we even look at our hearts for a moment, it is, it is easy to see the places where these uh, sins um, come into our lives, God. Father, I confess that on, on all of these, um, I am guilty. I'm God that I, I speak in a haughty way sometimes. God, that I have an arrogant attitude towards those who are sinning in ways that I am not sinning. God, that I am, in some cases, sinning in different ways or lesser degrees, and yet ultimately um, it is the same kind of sin, and yet I'm critical of the way they live and, and not critical of myself. God, I know that it is, it is part of my broken character and personality that I want to win sometimes, that I just want to win an argument. I want to put people in their place. Um, I want to shut them down. Um, God, I want to prove I'm right. Father, I confess that I am all of these things. Father, we need your spirit uh, working in our lives, God, to, to draw us away from these things, God, to make us live in a, in a humble, 
kind of peace uh, that we see Jesus exhibiting all throughout his ministry as, as he is, is, he is reviled and he is hated, he is yelled at and mocked, um, as, as those who are closest to him reject him and walk away, as those who are enemies continue to bear down on him and oppress him and, and, and bring him to the cross, God, we see his kindness. We see his faithfulness. We see his um, mercy that even as he is hanging on the cross, God, he is still forgiving. Um, he's still looking for the good um, of other people, right? Not the good that is in them, but the good that he can bring to them um, through his, his testimony and, and, and God by his actions on the cross. Father, help us to be like Jesus in these things. Thank you that Jesus has been this way for us. Thank you that Jesus has been the all-loving, all-forgiving, all-merciful, all-blessing Savior that he is because we are in need of all those things. But God, help us to be that to other people. Help us to live lives that reflect the gospel, um, that live lives um, that demonstrate the love that we have been shown in Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world around us. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. Yeah.
Amen. Good to see you guys. It's great to have you uh, with us tonight. Um, hit this benediction as you go. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, and to Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. We'll see you next week.
proud of him, but I guess he just ran out. We all could enjoy that. Yeah. Yes, I think we're going to be Yeah, that is nice. <laughs> Sorry, <man. laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, if you ask Megan tomorrow, that's probably like a four mile over. Yeah. I think we're, we're due at basically you know, like August or October 5th. So. We, we have the same day as Hillary's uh, first, and we're not here to track people. Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, I know. 